I've had enough of men with pathetic egos willy-waggling. What do you want? To say I'm sorry. I shouldn't have embarrassed you. No, you shouldn't. Look, I screwed up with the scam, okay? But until yesterday, me and Gran, we were doing all right. More than all right. So if you think you can just ride in here like Charlie Big Potatoes and start calling the shots... What? But I'd sooner you just went. Charlie Big Potatoes? The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. Welcome to episode 173 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catch-up podcast that admires Chesney's contrived ability to take control of a situation by knocking harder and shouting louder at a deaf person in the community centre until the police arrive. I'm Gavin. And I've got a soggy bottom. We've all got soggy bottoms today, haven't we? (laughs) It's been raining all week long. All week long. The world is made of rain. Yes. We had a break yesterday. It's rained a little bit yesterday. And then it's bad. We had sun. I actually saw the sun yesterday. I don't believe it. (laughs) (laughs) It's all lies. And now it's back to gray and rain. Fortunately, our basement is dry. And so Mm -hmm. I take comfort from that. Our yard is quite soggy, though. I have a rule. Do you? Well, I have. I think you have several rules. I have several rules. (laughs) The primary rule I have, though, is no jeans till October, (laughs) which involves... Me not wearing jeans until October. Right. I wear shorts. Right. I wear shorts for the whole summer. Yeah. From as early as I can, typically mid-April. I'm wearing shorts for basically six months. Mm-hmm. I had to put on jeans this week. Yeah. And it's not April. Yeah. And I feel... And it's not October. It's, it's, it's made me depressed. Yeah. Typically, typically my rule is... No closed toe shoes until October, but I've been wearing my really comfy UGG closed shoes predominantly all summer because Benny wore my Nike slides towards the end of the school year last year and lost them. So this is what happens when you're kids and and you kind of share a shoe size. Mm. Fortunately, his feet are much bigger than mine now, so... Ah. Yeah, the, the extension to the whole <laughs> jeans thing is that I don't really wear socks or shoes either. No. But there are times when you have to you have to accept that you do have to wear shoes, and if you're wearing shoes, then you have to wear socks. Right. But I'm firm on the jeans. And the only thing that I wore other than shorts this summer was my kilt. Yes. So my legs, my poor wee legs, all covered up in jeaned denim. Oh. So unhappy about that. So unhappy. I kind of like putting my jeans on and my sweat and my sweat pants on and stuff again. I kind of like putting that the heavier throw on the bed and, and crawling underneath it and getting all snuggly. I think the thin. Anyway, this is not a, a <laughs> podcast about our, our about our, our bed linens. Right. It's interesting. Mm, maybe that would be a. What would that be called? Uh, go go with Ellen Broom. <laughs> So how have you been otherwise? Ah, uh, I mean, your soggy bottom. 
I went to see um, Respect on Wednesday in the middle of the day. Because on Wednesdays and Thursdays, I get out early from my job job. So, um, and we have this movie movie pass thing. pass thing only it's not movie pass it's it's something very specific to our, the theaters here and it's a much better deal i think the movie pass ended yeah, up being it's very rem- reminiscent of the Cineworld unlimited card that i had in the uk mm-hmm. so and you didn't want to sit through two and a half hours of aretha franklin's life no as much as i enjoy her music i, I didn't want to sit for two and a half hours in the movie theater mm. it was good it was good it it suffers from what a lot of biopics do of trying to cram too much of a person's life into a movie. And so you have something that's like a really important life moment for this person. And then five minutes later, it's over and they've moved on to something else. You know, I, don't know. I think rock biopics the, the, or musical biopics always make me think of the scene in Bohemian Rhapsody when they come up with... Uh, we will rock you, and it's just so cringe. Everything about it. when they when they have those pivotal moments right. of their life, yeah, seeing it dramatized is is never satisfying. Right. It's always kind of manufactured and contrived because it is right. Yeah, this was more you know along the lines of when she was raped as a child and um, then experienced spousal abuse with her first husband. But you know, there's also there's a scene where where. Well, first, there's a scene where she and her sisters and her children and her grandmother are dancing around their house to Otis Redding's respect. And you're like, oh, oh, seeds are being planted here. And then you have a scene where, you know, it's the middle of the night and she is at the piano rearranging Otis Redding's respect. And her sisters wake up and then her husband wakes up and says, what the hell are you doing? That's Otis Redding's song, blah, blah, blah. You'll never make that a hit, blah, 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 which is a scene that is in every biopic where somebody says, you'll never make that a hit. Right, and that's a contrived so, bit I'm talking but about. At least more they, than the rape and the spouse abuse. Right, but at least they didn't have uh, Mike Myers playing her husband, so... <laughs> to step I, up I from hear he was, uh, he was in line for it. I, I, <laughs> it's he was a, going to do it Scottish. It, it's, it's a step up from... Um, it's a step up from Bohemian Rhapsody in, in that respect. In, in not having Mike Myers play a... Small victories. Yes. <laughs> and also, I've caught some really weird hacky cough, which is not COVID, but it's still annoying. Which is going to add at least an hour to my editing times. I do my best to take them all out. Yes. Fantastic. How are you? I'm all right. <laughs> Shall we preamble, my dear? Yes, please. Give us some of that shagadelic Cory news. Shagadelic. Mike Myers. Ah, okay. Do keep up. No. With 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 nineties Michael Myers Mike Myers movies. Sorry, Michael Myers, completely different person. Curtis may not be just a zombie. He might also have a clone as well, or a few clones. Some sneaky trolls on social media have been impersonating Sam Retford and attempting to meet up with fans and steal their money. What? Yeah. Sam has said he has pared down his social media way down in the aftermath and is now only on Instagram. He has gotten off of Twitter and off of Facebook. So if you see somebody pretending to be Sam Redfield on Twitter or Facebook, they're lying. They're trying to do something, either take your money or murder you. So don't. 
what, um, a, what a random <laughs> chain of events that is. I'm sure it happens with other people all the time as, as well. But oh, I guess was, it's not exclusively him, I guess. Right. But, he also said he had been experiencing some bullying because people would uh, slide into his DMs and then get mad when he didn't respond to them. You know, so they'd, uh, go, they'd go from, oh, we really love Curtis. Oh, you're such a good actor to, fuck you, you asshole. Why are you not responding to my DMs? You know, you must be, you know, some snobby prick for for not thinking of the little guys and we put you where you are, blah, 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 blah. blah. You're, you're paraphrasing a sense. Oh, we bet. <laughs> or maybe, maybe, maybe the not. culprit has been identified <laughs> live on the podcast. Yes, because I have time to impersonate Curtis. Well, that's exactly what somebody who didn't have time would say. <laughs> See, this is, I know people... People get really snarky about the blue checks um, and, you know, have opinions about blue check people. But it actually is very helpful when, you know, trying to differentiate between the real person and the many, 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 many fan pages. Yeah, all that the parody exist. ones as well. Right. It happens all the time. Mm. And even like famous people accidentally tag their own people in their tweets and it's a, actually a fan page and stuff so yeah be careful out there folks and try not try, try not to get duped into meeting random actors from like Coronation people deliberately Street. go out to get duped no but if there's people who are actually actively saying oh yes I want to meet Sam Redfield I don't know anyway moving on this is how <laughs> How the best news items on TV end is with the, the news that are going, I don't know. But anyway. <laughs> Maybe they should. Maybe they should admit every once in a while that they don't know instead of speculating. Moving on. Helen Worth got together with former lover and potential stepdad Nigel Havers to talk about the old days. She mentioned the fact that his real life wife approached her in a butcher's once and introduced herself by saying, and I quote, the last time I saw you, you were kissing my husband. Laughs were had by all, except for the butcher, who was busy hiding the knives in the back. Right. <laughs> I remember um, the person I was married to before you had a, a brief... Your ex-husband is a, <laughs> it's a shorthand for that. Did some acting while we were married, and there was one time he was in this play where he kind of had to roll around in a bed with another woman and uh there were people there were people who were like oh are you okay with that you know doesn't that make you uncomfortable and i was like no it's acting i've done some myself it's fine it's just acting it's not that big of a deal but it's funny that you know your ex-husband yes the person he was rolling around with on stage was not the person who broke up our marriage okay <laughs> obviously well, because you know the person who broke up our marriage. I'm trying to think of... <laughs> his, his most recent ex-wife. Oh, of course. Yeah, <laughs> yes. God, I'm just thankful that your ex-husband's life isn't my chosen specialized subject or masterminded. What are you talking about? You guys are like best friends on Facebook. Moving on. in the most bizarre photos I've ever witnessed on the internet <laughs> US Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi stepped behind the bar of the Rovers for a photo op 
Our Nancy was in the UK for the G7 and was one of a number of speakers to visit the set. Because why not? It's not like there's anything <laughs> important happening in the world right now. Right. And that's Corey News. I um, enjoyed particularly the photograph of Nancy standing next to uh, David Nielsen, mm-hmm. Roy, yes. with Molly Gallagher, Nina. Uh-huh. And it looked like... It looked like Roy and Nancy Pelosi were Nina's parents. It's <laughs> kind of how it looked to me. I really did admire her orange pat suit, though. She really stood out amongst all the, all the, uh, all the European and, and British people standing in a line in blacks and browns and greys. And then there's our Nancy in bright orange. Very fetch, straight yes. from Guantanamo Bay. <laughs> and now we'll podcast for coffee. No new coffees this week, <gasps> which is fine. We've been it's fine. I've had an embarrassment of riches recently. Embarrassment of riches. But this is the last week of our um, Rescue.org International Rescue Committee fundraiser, if you like. Yes. Uh, for the humanitarian aid in Afghanistan. So if you want to donate money to that, you can buy us a coffee and we will send that money to Rescue.org. We'll be doing this up until the end of the month, yes. which is... Friday? September. Thursday. Friday? September 30th. <laughs> it's the shorthand for that. <laughs> Whatever that is. Hold right. on. I think, next, it, I think next it's Thursday. Thursday. Yeah. Thursday. Yeah. Thursday. Yeah. Because Friday is uh, October, October 1st when Venom Let There Be Carnage comes out. No. That's not why it's in my diary. <laughs> no. It's in my diary for being one year sober. Woohoo! Anyway. So yeah, so if you want to buy us next week's coffee, then you can go to kofi.com, that's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. And we'll be very appreciative for it. And now this. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to Last Year Tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about saltier than a sailor's sweat. Tasty. That's right, this was Mary's advice <laughs> regarding the baking Fizz had done. Fizz had made some cakes or biscuits or something and right, Mary yes. ran and warned everyone, don't taste them, they're saltier right, than a sailor's sweat. she made them for Oliver's fundraising. She, yeah, I believe, yeah, I believe you're right. Yeah, she made them. To help support Oliver. I oh, now I remember why. Now yeah. I remember why she uh, fucked up the recipe. Tyrone sabotaged them. Yes. Because he wanted he's to have the asshole. tastiest. And he wanted to have the tastier cakes. I think she would have been a bit of an asshole as well. Would you believe? Yeah. He's a bigger asshole though. I was Gavin and you had a sore throat again. And you were the dog drinking coffee in a burning room again. Yeah. <laughs> it was fine. This is fine. It was one of the most depressing pre-preambles we'd ever done, but you rejected two offers to start again. <laughs> Can we start this again? No, no, no just keep on going. Just keep going. <laughs> we piloted a short-lived section Plow called through. What Made Gav Cry Last Week? <laughs> John Oliver answering journalists' questions after winning his fifth Emmy made me cry. Aww. And Nandy Bushel, the 10-year-old drummer, she was 9-year-old mm-hmm. at the time, and her rivalry with Dave Grohl, that made me cry as well. You didn't cry this year when John Oliver won an Emmy. Actually, I think he won two Emmys this year. 
it wasn't him winning it that made me cry. It was seeing his interview right with, afterwards uh, with the press afterwards, where he was talking about how he was just trying to keep his staff mm-hmm. going. Right, and it was very, very, it was very heartfelt and very emotional. Yes, that wee drummer lassie, she released a video. I think last week, uh-huh. maybe the week before, of her playing with with the Foo Fighters. Yeah, in concert yeah. in front of tens of thousands of people. I know it's awesome. There's a there's a secondary bit to the video where you see kind of the behind the scenes thing mm-hmm. where she turns up at the uh, at the arena and they're doing the sound check and she's doing the end fills uh, during Everlong mm-hmm. and she's taking instruction from Dave Grohl who's kind of telling her just kind of go crazy for a little bit and then we and you can tell by his face when he wants her to do the final hit the symbols right, and then yeah. the song's done and she follows him right. perfectly yes. And so when she, when he's done, when the band's finished playing, you can see he's trying not to laugh uh-huh. as he walks back to his microphone and says, "I think we've got a rock concert." <laughs> and this was this was the rehearsal. It's so sweet how proud of her he is, right? You know, and how supportive he has been of this wee lassie. Who'd have thought that that story would have been what got us through this? <laughs> anyway. Everyone prepares to sell everything in advance of Oliver's experimental ger- German therapy while Emma, Tyrone and Fizz get their charitable heads into fundraising mode. The Daniel and Nicky storyline moves from creepy as fuck to pretty woman territory as she seems to fall for his white knight ways. Talking of which, Peter's obsession with helping out Abby comes back to bite him on the bum thanks to Debbie's Olympic standard jumping to conclusions. Michael has no idea of the types of faces Grace is pulling behind his back. Billy and his man bag are on the receiving end of a virtual island smash. It's been a while since we've had an island smash. Correct. Tim's dad has taken to carrying thousands of pounds in cash on his person. Brian and Mary declare World War Three, and their moment of the week was George's apology to Mary, which nearly became another thing to make me cry. He ordered a bouquet to deliver to herself because he'd been so nasty to her. And their boring moment of the week was Leanne explaining laundry to a comatose Oliver. Mm-hmm. And that was Coronation Street and the Talk of the Street this time last year. Where we gave the boring moment of the week to a dying child. <laughs> and that's why we're going to hell. <laughs> One of many reasons. Yep. Join the, join the queue. <laughs> or in America, the line. <laughs> Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. We have less to get through this week than Yay! last week. So that's good news. And it's all rubbish. Our first storyline this morning is Tim's mum about the house. That's a good tune. It is a good tune. You did did good. Thanks. Ripping off something. (laughs) On Monday, Sedan recaps where we left off last week. He's he's here to invest in a local business and it might as well be Speeddal, which uh, which he set up in the first place. Yasmin, like Alia, is suspicious of where he got his 50000 but they're forced to accept because of their dire money situation. Correct. Zadina and Alia are walking to Speeddal when Z spots Ryan walking to Roy Rolls and he thinks there are scores to be settled here. He stomps by a souped-up Subaru that has two shifty-looking fellows sitting inside it. Mm-hmm. Simon's already in Roy Rolls when Ryan comes in, closely followed by Zidane. Simon's very pleased to see Zidane, Ryan less so, although this is the first time the two of them have met. Mm-hmm. Alia slinks in and hears Ryan talk about losing Alia being a monumental mistake in his life. And then Zidane calls Ryan a coward for doing nothing about Tim's dad. Oh, fuck you, Zidane. Right. This is the first fuck you, Zidane. I had... It won't be the last. I think you got a packet of fuck you, Zidane's from the shop before I did. we started this I thing. I did. Mm-hmm. I stored up. 
Shall we talk about Zidane's hair just no. off the bat? No. <laughs> okay then. Ryan, that's, we've just saved ourselves 15 minutes. Thank you. Ryan takes exception to this and goes to knock Zidane's stupid Lego hair. No, we haven't. <laughs> off his head when Alia intervenes, calling out Zidane for doing fuck all about Tim's dad and telling him to shove his money up his arse. Right, right. up, up his, his arse. arse. Early with that this week. Mm-hmm. Tim's mum and Kathy are chatting about Alia being scammed and Tim's mum wants to get Alia and Yasmina sorry you fell for it present. So Kathy <laughs> and Tim's mum head into town to get a nice gift. Right. She's so thoughtful, Tim's mum. Yes. She's not driven by plot at all. No. At speed dial, Yasmin worries that this is a lifeline they can't afford to turn down. Z comes down to apologise. Alia points out that he can't come in and play Charlie Big Potatoes now. So Zidane is about to go and pack when Alia stops him. If anyone's going to punch Ryan, it'll be her. Yes. Yasmin sends him off to buy ingredients for a feast. And then you can tell me all about your beautiful wife and the ten gorgeous great-grandchildren you're about to give me. I know. And I was like, Yasmin, ten from one? Mm-hmm. From one grandchild? You what? Ten? What is wrong with you? I thought you were a thoroughly modern woman. She wants uh, Miriam to push herself inside out, giving grand- great-grandchildren there. Apparently. Yikes. And Zidane does his first two-second smell fade. Mm-hmm. Zidane is walking by the alley of doom when he's jumped by the pair from the Subaru and he's killed. <laughs> we can only hope. Or so we're led to believe. Alia and Yasmin have a... <laughs> if only he had been killed. Alia and Yasmin <laughs> have a chance to have a private word and Alia has concerns about Zidane's violent reaction to Ryan... And also the questions over his money. And where the fuck has he got to anyway? Back in town and fresh from a liquid lunch, Tim's mum and Cathy stumble upon the body in the alleyway of doom. Tim's mum is strangely doing a little fashion show in the middle of the street for Cathy. Then Cathy notices a body in the alleyway. Right. Yeah, because they want to see this this pretty flashy... Towel? Pashima scarf oh, that they bought. <laughs> Honestly, I thought it was a towel. It's a bit long for a towel, <laughs> my darling. Is it, is it a towel for a python? You know, you, it dries the parts that other towels can't reach. It would chafe if you did that in real life. There's sequins on it. <laughs> well, it wasn't a towel. No. I just, anyway. <laughs> so Simon is in speed dial looking for his You just wanted an excuse to do that, didn't you? He still isn't back. Then Tim's mum comes in shouting on Yasmin. It's Zidane. There's been a terrible accident. Oh, no. So because of plot, Simon goes with Alia to the hospital to see Zidane. And when Zidane tells PC Tinker he doesn't know who attacked him, a furious Simon who really needs to get his hole and chill the fuck Actually, out. Actually, PC Tinker isn't there yet. Is he? Yeah. Oh, he is. Tells him. Oh. I don't know. Craig just kind of fades into the wallpaper sometimes. Yeah. So Simon is there to point his grassy little finger at Ryan. He threatened him earlier, officer. Mm-hmm. So PC Tinker takes what Simon. Is, what is what is Simon's relationship to Suzanne? <laughs> I can't this remember. Must have, this must have happened before I started watching the show because I'm like, why is why is Simon so invested in Zidane? This, this well, Simon also says, I could have really done with his advice earlier this year. About what and why? About the drug the first, thing? This is the first time I've ever heard Simon mention Zidane at all, like all the time that he's been gone, not once has Simon said, "I really miss Sedan." And no, no, I don't recall Simon 
bumping into Yasmin and chatting with her about Sidan ever or Alia. Something must have happened way back like, in the day. Like he was his babysitter or something weird. But he, the fact that he's in the hospital, just <laughs> what the fuck is Simon doing? What there? is going on here? I was so confused. I'm sure. I'm sure we're having a. Um, Somebody will tell us. Yeah. <clears throat> Scott. John. PC Thinker takes Simon's word as gospel, and despite Alia's doubts, he goes off to speak with Ryan. Zidane is discharged, and while Alia and Yasmin go to get the car, he gets a crank, heavy breathing call. He's into those mucky sex lines. That's re- that was that was really weird. It's like, was that supposed to be threatening I'm to not, a dude? I'm not going to reenact it just Please in case. Don't. I, just in case I turn anybody on. Please don't. Please don't. But it was one of those. It was weird. Oh eight nine eight numbers, wasn't it? It was weird. Let's just put it at that. They've all just got home when Ryan bursts in. <laughs> Ryan pretty much puts Alia through the wall here when he, <laughs> when he bursts in, <laughs> into the house. And he's furious that he's had to speak to Craig. Yasmin is shocked given how much of a rock Ryan he has been to the IT, family recently. He, he puts ITV stuff on to shame with his entrance. That was a very dramatic entrance. <laughs> Poor Alia's just holding her nose and there's blood in her. Jeez. Ryan, though, was surprised that Alia didn't jump to his defence. Alia apologises, and after Yasmin's prompting, so does Zidane. Alia and Yasmin chat more about Zidane's attackers. Yasmin thinks it was random, and Zidane overhears, and Alia wonders why he isn't angry about this, and why he's ignoring calls on his phone of all, all of a sudden. What is he hiding? So Zidane is forced to reveal that his marriage is over, Miriam was a cow, and his father-in-law is some kind of gangster type and wants him dead, but the money's legit. Sure. On Wednesday. It sounds very legit. It's morning in the Nazir house and Alia's still curious as to why Zidane left Miriam. He admits to having an affair and then Yasmin arrives with DS Fringy's number, set to call her until Zidane comes clean to her about being a scally. So we don't really get a chance for anyone to have a go at Zidane for being unfaithful after having such a fit at Sharif and Rana for doing the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In speed out, Yasmin wants to know where the 50 grand came from and Zidane is... Typically evasive He wants to buy back into his business And Yasmin says well it's my fucking business now And he's buying back into nothing Zidane <laughs> 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 so goes to the rovers to apologise to Ryan He also tells Ryan that the way Alia talks about him It's clear that she's still hurting But she still must think a lot of him So Zidane is ready to leave So Yasmin agrees to take his loan On the condition that he stays under her roof which is the strangest condition ever. And if there's any hint of nonsense from his in-laws, she'll be on the phone to DS Fringe pronto. Right, because he, um, he's about ready to leave and she doesn't want him to leave because no. she, I guess she kind of feels like if he's under her thumb, he's safer. She can keep an eye on him. Yeah. Sure. Fine. Or is it just that there's nowhere else for him to stay? Well, there is, but then he'd be off the show again. Yeah. We need to keep him on the show because... Right. Plot. He's here for at least six months, I would guess. Really? Well, that's how the contracts work, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know. And that's as far as we get with that this week. So does any of this help us understand where Zidane got his money from? No. I'm, no, not really. Unless he stole... Just a 50 grand burning a hole in his bank account. Unless he stole it from his father-in-law and that's why the father-in-law wants to kill him, not because of some honour of his daughter. It just feels like such a... The whole thing is a damp squib. 
that he suddenly appears and well, right. why why have you suddenly appeared right when you should have uh, suddenly appeared many many times before mm-hmm. or weeks from now which is when he was due to appear or right. something and then oh it's you left your wife mm-hmm. oh you're cheating on her oh oh okay this all seems very plot 101 mm. i expect something a little bit more exciting than that yeah. So maybe that is, maybe this is just maybe it's a, coming. Maybe this is just a, yeah, maybe a ruse to throw people off the scent. Right. Or it's setting something up, something bigger up. And I it, keep hearing that there's going to be more big dramatic stunts coming in the weeks to come. Oh, could you roll your eyes anymore? <laughs> <laughs> Let me pick them up and roll them right back at you. <laughs> I, I think everybody knows how I feel about, you know... More guns. Dramatic stunts when, you know... The show is much more appealing to me when it's character-driven, but, you yeah. know... I we saw some aspects of that this week. It is what it is. I thought it was strange, though, that if the father-in-law sent those two heavies, who I assume are brothers... Yeah, or cousins or something. A part of his family, part yeah. of the father-in-law's family, in-laws to Zidane... Yeah. If they wanted to kill him, they would have. They had the perfect opportunity to do so, and, yeah. they, and they didn't. And they didn't even come close. No. They just it felt more threatening like, you need to do something for us. You know, you need to pay us back, maybe. Or you need to come back to your wife or, or something like that. I, <laughs> just roughed them up a little bit. The storyline also feels a little icky to me in that respect. That we're having members of the Brown cast do this storyline about dishonor to the family and threatening the son-in-law who has dishonored my daughter. Blah, 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 blah. I hope it's not that. I hope there's something more to it than that. Yeah. But it's also kind of icky that that's even being broached as a possible reason. Is there still mileage in Zidane being the scammer, do you think? That's looking less and less likely, I think. It seems so obvious last week. I still think it might be possible. I still think it's like some way, some ploy of his. Because he does say to Yasmin this week that he would have never sold his shares in Speed Doll mm-hmm. if she hadn't pressured him, if Tim's dad hadn't pressured him. All right. So there's a there's a bit <clears throat> of me that thinks that this is all just a ploy to get Speed Doll back, but... Right, he feels a bit wronged by this. Right. That he was, uh, he sold his shares under false pretenses. Right, so it to, kind of feels like maybe he did the scamming to get the the 50k. Mm-hmm. To, to buy his way back in. To, buy his, mm-hmm. to kind of buy his way back in, but that doesn't really explain the heavies. Right. Unless, you know, <clears throat> he paid to have them help him with this and now they're not getting paid. I don't know. Oh, life was so much simpler when Chesney was just hitting himself in the face for a brick, wasn't it? This does seem to keep I the door open for a bit days. for Ryan and Alia's reconciliation. Yes. Which I hope happens. Yeah, right? me too. That's uh, Again, that's one couple I hope gets back together. All righty then. Yeah. Let's move on to our next storyline, which is Max's new headroom. <sighs> now, you gave me kudos for that title last week. I did. It's already lost its luster. No, no. Oh. I like that. The storyline's shit. <laughs> I'm sighing because of this ridiculous storyline where two blonde men 
and one blonde child stand in a street and shout at one another. This is... Well, you're pissing all over my notes, by the way. Talking about this stupid storyline, talking up, ooh, we got a new Max for this new, more gritty storyline, and blah, 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 blah. And the gritty storyline is a kid doesn't want to do his homework. (laughs) Well, so far. But anyway... I spent time writing these notes and damn it, right, I'm going to read them out. let's go. On Monday, Summer is fretting in Roy's roles about her university application. She frets an awful lot about things, which is, which is Summer. Right, yes. She, even before she got the new head, she was very fretful I'm, about I've been watching work. some old Corey recently. Uh-huh. You just, you fall down the rabbit hole. It's on YouTube. It automatically plays the next it's one fine. for you. It's fine, it's fine. From 2017. You, you don't it, need to excuse this behaviour. <laughs> I wasn't aware I was. Um, summer, this is Summer's entrance time right. in 2017 when she had the, the old head. Right. And the more that I watched that at the time, it's we're doing a really good job here of, not us, of maintaining that, um, that kid. Uh-huh. If you just think of summer being summer and it doesn't uh-huh. matter who's been playing her, I feel like it's kind of, it's more seamless than I was giving it credit for. Because mm. she has lots of these aspects of her when she first arrived. I'm I'm seeing them still. In, yeah, the anxiety over schoolwork has always been there. Right. <clears throat> so anyway, Bernie thinks that she has a blockage in her cosmic energy. Daniel <sighs> comes in and catches the end of it and we learn that Summer is applying for Oxford so Daniel offers to help out at school later. Mm-hmm. Bernie offers to clear out uh, any blockages in Daniel's cosmic energy. Right. And he seems to contemplate that a little bit. Yeah, instead he wants a sausage roll to further <laughs> complicate that blockage. Right. In school, Daniel is giving Summer private advice, boosting her confidence to write about what she's passionate about. Because remember that time that she did that thing that was lovely? Write about that. Right, yeah. Remember that time that you that you set up this whole thing for for suicide awareness and mm-hmm. stuff? Remember that? Well, that was that was the yesterday. No. And Summer, that was she does we, remember it. That was when we first set up this podcast. Yep. She asks about further private lessons, but he has to knock her back because of the whole Max thing. And, and she, he's not doing the private tutoring anymore. Daniel's back in the street in shock to see her stressed out summer basically tell Billy to go suck a bag of dicks when he offers to take her to Speed Dal for dinner. <laughs> Where do you think I'm getting time for Speed Dal, Billy? So Daniel yeah, tracks Summer she, down to Roy's role. She's too busy to eat. And reveals that due to her outburst with Billy, yeah, she's got time to go to Roy's role, though. Right, yeah. Due to her outburst with Billy, he's changed his mind and agrees to help her out more on her application, but just because she's not scared to put in the work. So that's yeah. a differentiator for him. On Wednesday, Max is on his way to school when David catches up to him with his homework. Max claims he doesn't have any homework because of his ADHD and explains that teachers are cautious not to erode his confidence mm. by giving him too much work. And David utterly falls for it. Yeah, well, we've 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 fallen for that before. Well, we've fallen for it, but we've also just accepted it because we don't want the argument now. Right. We'll have the argument later. But we also, you know, we also win when challenged. Well, if you don't believe me, call the call the teacher. Unlike David, we call the teacher. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember one time uh, <laughs> Benny hid his homework outside, I so I wouldn't that. find it, and I watched him from a window do it. <laughs> And then promptly grounded them when they came in. 
to go out and unhide that homework. <laughs> Later in Roy's Rolls, David spots Daniel and makes some light banter about having one less mark due to Max's ADHD homework thing. Daniel's quick to disabuse him of this, says Max hasn't handed anything in and all he's done is made a twat out of his dad. <laughs> David is why I order and storms out. <laughs> On Friday, David and Shona are bitching about Daniel. Daniel reckoning... On Friday, David and Shona are bitching about Daniel. David reckoning Daniel has a type. What with him tutoring Bethany? So that would explain the whole summer <sighs> thing. Oh, does he know about summer thing at this point? Yes. Oh, wait. No. No, he doesn't. You haven't gotten to the point where Summer and is entering Daniel's house and David yells at Daniel about it and saying, Oi, what about my kid? I think I've missed you, that out. You, 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 uh, you're playing favourites here on the street, you. This is the first time they're shouting at one another on the street. Yeah, I've missed that out. Not the last time. Me, after making such a big deal about <laughs> being so precious about these notes, I've, I've either missed this out or put it in a different storyline. <sighs> Yeah, that happens. Yeah. <clears throat> You've explained it. Yes. So, yeah. In fairness to David, I think he's still smarting a little bit from Daniel publicly calling him a twat. Right. So, you know, which is not, it's not that far off the mark, but it's kind of ridiculous because you'd think that Max would at least be smart enough to know that David's going to find out because Daniel lives on the street. Mm -hmm. They always find out. That's the thing. Yeah. They always find out. No. Anyway, so <clears throat> David and Shona are, well, Shona's not really doing this. this is David bitching about mm -hmm. uh, Daniel she's, and she's tutoring seemed, Bethany and all she that. She seemed a bit more like old Shona this week. <clears throat> she did. Max is slinking downstairs and overhears this like a wrong one. Meanwhile, Daniel has shit himself about going to school and crying to Ken about it, but Ken doesn't care because he has a funeral to attend in a different storyline. At school, Max is having a laugh with his mate. But and also, let's be fair, Ken just doesn't care. Doesn't care. But Misery Guts Daniel wants to know what's so funny. Max insists it was just schoolwork, talking about forbidden love. Daniel doesn't believe him. Max could not give a single shit if Daniel believes him or not, but observes that Daniel would know all about forbidden love, given his track record with Bethany. Bethany. Max is the last to leave Daniel's class. And Daniel catches them acting shifty near his jacket. And on an inspection, it seems that Daniel's wallet is missing. He puts two and two together, blames Max, and orders him back to his seat until he gets his wallet back. Daniel is quite shouty. He's not a great teacher, is he? Daniel tells Max that he can do this all day. Max doesn't care because he's playing a little game <laughs> yeah. on his phone. All of a sudden, Daniel is Captain America. <laughs> I could do this all day! Didn't get that. No. But then he gets a call from Tracy, who's babysitting from him. Daniel was warned earlier in the storyline, don't be late, because right. Tracy's looking after Betty, and she's right. not going to be happy. Yes. So he tells Max to leave the classroom, but Max refuses until he's finished playing his game. So Daniel grabs his school bag and throws it out of the class. Great teacher. Back in the street, Daniel approaches Max, who still insists he's innocent. Why would he steal a loser's wallet? Daniel snatches Max and tries to rummage in his bag just as David comes along wondering what the hell is going on. So Daniel explains. And Max empties his pockets to reveal no wallet. And by the way, this prick teacher has ruined dinner. His lasagna was in the bag that Daniel threw around it the school. always comes back to lasagna, doesn't, doesn't it? it? It's like they want to hear you say that. <laughs> it's like they do it purposely so that you will do that on the podcast. We used to have lasagna all the time in the UK. 
Uh-huh. It was a kind of go-to. Right. You know how I make jambalaya all the time? Uh-huh. My mum made lasagna all the time. Uh-huh. And we'd never have lasagna here. Well, we do, but it takes a lot of time. And neither one of us have an awful lot of time. But so even what on I the weekend. What I typically do is I will get a, a, a Stouffer's lasagna. <laughs> you can GTF it up. <laughs> and, and you don't like them, obviously. There's no meat in it. There, there is meat in the meat ones. Very little. But I tend to like the, the vegetable ones better with the white sauce. Those are I, my favorite. And you can go one day without eating meat one day a week, mister. <laughs> Daniel explains what he's had to put up with, including jibes about Bethany. And Max throws David under the bus uh, saying that, well, it was him that told me. Gavin Broom, eco-warrior. <laughs> Let it burn. And the sniping continues until Daisy comes along to break it all up. You'll pay for this, says David, in public. Shouting on the street. Two men shouting at one another on the street about a stupid teenager. In the house, Max insists he's innocent, but David (laughs) lectures him for bringing up Bethany. Shona is angry at David and feels sorry for Daniel having to put up with all the shite, and all David's done is make Max's school life worse. Back home, Daniel is phoning around to cancel his cards, while Daisy who's there, makes a cuppa. She tells him if he doesn't calm down, he could lose his job. She doesn't want to see him throw his career away for a gobby kid. And if he didn't see Max do it, then he can't be sure that he did. Right. Then Tracy phones again. Daisy, voice of reason. Right. Then Tracy phones for like the fifth time, just as David buzzes his buzzer. Daisy urges... But not like that. Daisy urges Daniel to do what he can to defuse the situation. So David explains his position and Daniel explains that he's tutoring summer because he's been through the same uni process and it's kind of working. But the fact that Max knows Daniel is making this whole situation worse. And then it kind of escalates from there. Right. It doesn't go well. Right. Yeah. Because he says, well, you know, that he and Daisy and, you know, point out that there are lots of other, there are lots of other tutors. And David's like, yeah, well, Shona said the same thing. Or I could look that up myself, thanks for your advice. Right, yeah. And he still seems really snarky about it. And Daniel's right. You know, it's not easy tutoring a kid who you know outside of school. And also who doesn't want to learn. No. The whole reason he's doing this with Summer is because Summer wants to learn. Summer's keen. Right. Max is the opposite of that. Or Max is insecure about learning and so puts on this facade and it's really hard to break that facade with some kids especially teenage boys also daniel is making a mountain out of a molehill in some situations like when max was just chuckling out of class Mm -hmm. in the hallway with his pal Mm -hmm. joaquim i think it was Was javier javier and you become with a spanish j but uh yeah all they're doing is having a laugh He, he needs to ignore that but he makes, us, he makes a big deal out of it. What are you laughing at? Mm-hmm. And that's when the whole Bethany thing comes in. Right, yeah. So anyway, we end up that Daniel calls Max a thief. David tells Daniel he's not fit to be a teacher. And I think David's got a point. Daniel has got Bertie and Daisy then heads off home. She's been there all day and all she's done is listen to him bitch about Max. Well, no one asks you to stay, says Daniel. Nice, says Daisy. Yeah. And she leaves. Yeah, here I am supporting you. And I don't have to. Mm-hmm. Back don't need num- to. But you have that big old house, so... Right. Back at number eight, 
David insists that Max is innocent because he said so. Well, teenagers never lie, says Shona. And David <laughs> is talking about getting Daniel Thank sacked. Thank you, Shona. David is talking about getting Daniel sacked, which Shona thinks is exactly solid parenting. And that takes us to the end of this storyline for this week, and also to this week's hard debate. <laughs> Who on earth stole Daniel's wallet? Your options were Max, Bob's, mm-hmm. Daisy. There never was a wallet. Or beyond the grave, Norris. Or it's in his bag and he'll find it on Monday. And we've got a, a, another suggestion, another good suggestion, a good solid suggestion that I wish I'd used. It's in Daniel's sex cardigan. <laughs> so. The, the vo- yeah, that was funny. The voting was thus. Daisy, 13.7%. There never was a wallet, 18.9%. And this I just love. Beyond the Grave Norris, 22.1%. More than a fifth of the vote. Everything else goes to Max, 45.3%. I think Max really did do it. I still think it's it's in Daniel's bag. Who puts their wallet in their jacket? <laughs> Not me. Not me. My wallet is always in my pocket. My jeans pocket or my shorts pocket. I have to feel my wallet mm-hmm. there all the time or a panic. Mm-hmm. And mine is always in my lounge fly Doctor Who backpack because women's clothes do not have pockets large enough for a wallet. Which is just ridiculous. It is. Think of the money that can be made by making a pair of jeans for a woman that holds a wallet and a phone. But I do love my Doctor Who lounge fly well, backpack. There you go. That's why people will never make those jeans. Because... Because my darling bought it for me. That was a good present. That was a I good did present. Well. You did. I gave myself brandy points for that. <laughs> I'll go blind. <laughs> so David's attitude is overblown or typical parent? I think it's a little overblown. It's a little overblown, but I and think I it's think, a little typical parent as well. And I think it's overblown because it's Daniel. I don't think he would be this shouty with a teacher who he didn't know. Right. You know, the same with Max. I don't think Max would... Because David's not hearing this from other teachers about how... Of course, he's not seeing... He's not bumping into other teachers in Roy's roles where he can have the opportunity to say, hey, how's Max doing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that doesn't happen. It's, It's like if Benny at some point is taking calculus with Mark Baker. I mean... (laughs) You, you waited until I was drinking coffee to say I that. I did, I did. I did. Oh, it's <laughs> And then on a Tuesday night, we're, we we say to Mark, hey, how's Betty doing in calc? It's, it's, it's difficult when, you know, you're kind of living on top of one another in a small contained street. Right. You know, so... Which is, you know, it's kind of like the whole Craig thing. It's like, well, fine, be a teacher, but maybe be a teacher somewhere where you're not going to have your neighbor's kid in your class. It's the same with doctors as well. Don't be a doctor in your hometown because you'll never get out of the supermarket. Right. Because people will be up to you. Oh, my back, doctor. Oh, Mm -hmm. I've got this tickly cough, doctor. 
Daniel is also overblown. But again, it kind of feels like Daniel is more overblown at Max than he is about any of these. You know, he didn't. He wasn't shouty at Javier or at Max's other friends who were snarky and weird a few weeks ago. You know, it feels kind of like Daniel feels this pressure of David's going to ask me about how Max is doing. So I have to make sure that Max is getting all his homework done and is doing the very best he can possibly do. Mm-hmm. It's the relationship that's Beyond, causing this friction, know, definitely. Up, up to the point of not wanting to tutor him, mm-hmm. in fairness. I kind of feel that Daniel's reaction to this from the start has, I don't think he, was, he went through training being told this is the way you should deal with this. Yeah. And, and as someone the- as someone who has been through teacher training, you do go through classes that teach you how to deal with things like this. Oh, yeah. And my cousin Stephen, who was a teacher, a math teacher in the UK before he moved to Spain, he would tell stories about uh, kids in his class who, mm-hmm. who are so disruptive, they ruin it for everyone. Mm-hmm. The kids that want to learn can't learn because they're so disruptive and and his hands are tied there's so little Mm -hmm. that he can do right as a teacher now to to try and subdue that situation he can order the kid to leave but if the kid refuses to leave he can't make him he can't drag him out right because it'll be up for assault yeah so teacher's hands are tied and and it's a very difficult job yeah but i don't think he's doing himself any favors here it's not easy and then and then there are politicians in this country who want them to carry guns now Jeez. Can you imagine Daniel with a gun? <laughs> I can't think he'd shoot himself in the foot. <laughs> Don't you? Probably. Hmm. This kind of feels like a storyline that's not suited for a soap opera, doesn't it? It's more like a sitcom sort of storyline. Well, I don't know. I'm not laughing at it. No. No, in a sitcom, it would be funny. They'd make it funny. They're not trying to make it funny. They're trying to make it like really dramatic. And trying to get Daniel and David to come to blows over Max's grades. I just think that they brought Max in for being... They've made this huge deal about the new Max. The new Max and the new... He's been given a storyline. Mm-hmm. The storyline, as you say, at the moment is he doesn't want to do his homework. Right. There's got to be more to it, but I just... There's also been a very distinct shift in Max's personality from old head to new head. Yeah. Because Old Head wasn't a dick. He was fairly easy going and He had his moments. He had his moments. Where but he now would he's run like, up the stairs. He would stomp and up the stairs. And be angry. But mm-hmm. he was angry because his mum was dead. Right. You know? And people kept forgetting that. Right. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm living with the, uh, the woman who's the mum of the person who killed my mum. Right. And I mean, he did have the ADHD already. This was already something that he had that we were aware of. But it kind of... It makes it seem like all of a sudden they don't know how to deal with it or all of a sudden he can get away with saying things to David about, oh, well, because of my ADHD, they're, you know, toning it down. And and David, who has been his primary parent for years and has dealt with his ADHD for years, is all of a sudden he's all of a sudden able to pull the wool over his eyes. They don't have like a. Well, I don't know what it would be called in the UK. But like a 504 plan where, you know, the parents go in and, you know, because this is a learning disability, there's, there should be like a plan in place that the parents and the teachers get together and 
sort of plan, you know, to make accommodations for him, but that would be something that the parents would be involved in as well. So, yeah. Moving on. Mm. Our next storyline this morning is Kelly on the inside. On Monday, Mia and Kelly the Chin are chatting and we learn that Kelly is expecting a visit today from Sharon the Heavy, Shaza. So Kelly and Shaza are chatting in the nice wee meeting area that they have in the prison. Sharon tells her about the mystery money that Imran has and Kelly jumps to the conclusion that it must be from Rick the Chin and Sharon for some reason lets her believe this. Behind her... She her, does hesitate. Her pal Mia sees Sharon and has a very bad reaction to it. Mm-hmm. After the visit, Mia is in a bad mood with Kelly. She's worked out that Kelly the Chin is Rick the Chin's daughter. Like, the Chin didn't give it away. Right. She reveals that she's well aware of the work of Rick the Chin, who's the reason that she's in there and the reason that her mum's dead. She explains that her mum owed Rick thousands, but Rick had a reputation for making people go missing. Her mum ended up on drugs and died of an overdose, which led to her dealing, her being Mia. Kelly doesn't think any of this is her fault. Mia also doesn't think there's any chance that Rick is still alive. He wasn't the sort of guy to do a runner. If he disappeared, someone disappeared him. Mm-hmm. So Gary's in the rovers when he gets a call from Kelly asking if he gave her the money and if her dad's alive. He lies and says that as far as he knows, Rick the Chin is alive and well. He promises to come visit her tomorrow and she hangs up on him. So Wednesday in the clink, Kelly wants to know about her dad from Gary. He tells her to forget the past. She tells him that Sharon said it was her dad's money that paid Imran and she wants to know where Rick is. And we don't see any more from that. No. And the next day we know we're back at the furniture thing where Gary is giving Sharon a hard time about giving Kelly false hope. And then they start throwing furniture at each other. And then they start making sweet, sweet love. <laughs> if only... If only that happened. Well, that's where that normally goes when they start throwing things at each right. other. Right, yeah. They're throwing, like, marble no. bookends at one another Yeah, they need to start making sweet, sweet love. Yes, on the desk. <laughs> that's as far as we get with that this and week. Then, and then there'd be an amusing scene next week where Fizz is in the desk looking for a pen and instead she finds a used condom. Or uh, Sharon's knickers. Yes, which would be less gross than a used condom. Feels like we're getting a bit closer to Kelly finding out that her dad's dead, which means yes. that we're getting closer to Gary getting his comeuppance, which means that we're getting closer to Imran finding out that Gary essentially killed Rana. Right, and <sighs> hopefully, <sighs> and hopefully, some, hopefully, somehow in all of that, we find some evidence that gets Corey put sent down, because people are still quite angry about that. By people, I mean me. <laughs> I'm still. Well, yeah. I'm, and it's kind of annoying. I'm so disappointed by it. And it's kind of annoying that nothing has happened on that aspect at all this week. Or really last week. Yeah, where's Abby going to? Because last week, you know, we had Nina confronting Imran very briefly in the beginning. But then, you know, it was all about Kelly's suicide attempt, which apparently she's fine now. Yep. Yeah. I knew, I knew there had to be something with this girl. I knew I knew it couldn't with just Mia, be yeah. yeah I knew it couldn't just be a sweet friendship story. No, sadly, that's not how it goes in prison. No, if cell block H has taught me nothing else, <laughs> they like to throw DVD copies of How I Met the, Your Mother at you, right? And then run strangely <laughs> by a burning cell. <laughs> that's still my favourite bit of Corey ever. I think, and that Johnny really likes to play pool. With his imaginary cat. Whilst blind. <laughs> the table's over here, Johnny. Our penultimate storyline this morning oh, is God. Gracie Snaglist. 
on Wednesday. They're doing that again with the Baileys. Yeah. They're doing that again. Yeah, they are. Grace is getting ready to leave and move into the new house. Michael offers to pay half the rent. Ed, though, looks like he has something that he's not telling them. And they, they don't want Michael to pay Grace. But if Michael does pay Grace, they want that money back. Right. Grace stomps to the builder's yard to complain about the lack of snagging. Right, yeah, because Michael is like, oh, you know, I want to help out. You know, I'm sad you're leaving, but I want to help out. He's doing the decent thing. Yeah, he's doing the decent thing. And Grace is very quick to say, oh, well, you can just give the money to me and then I will put it towards the rent. And Ed is just giving her a look like, how heavy are your balls? Well, does it matter where the rent comes from so long as they get paid the rent? But they're not getting paid any rent. Not yet, she's not moved in. No, she's not paying rent. They're not giving her the house, they're letting her live there, but she's living there rent-free. Was it rent-free? Yeah. Oh, well, in that case, that's ridiculous. Right, okay. <laughs> Thank you. Now we get it. Now we get it. Now we now make a move. move. Oh, so Grace stomps to the builder's yard to complain about the lack of snagging lister. She and Glory will fuck off the hill and you'll never see us again. Aggie comes along and catches the end of this and is furious. We learn, though, that Paul is back working with Ed. Yay! So who's going to be sweeping up the floor at Trim Up North? That's what I want to know. Well, you know, Gail's back this week. But there's a, there's a, there's a, a window of time where no one's sweeping up it. Because David's not doing it because he's too busy shouting Shout at Daniel. Shouting at Daniel. <sighs> and not getting that sinkhole fix. <laughs> On Friday. Well, that's Natalie's problem now, isn't it? Natalie. Not Natalie. Sam's mum. Sam's mum. Natasha. On Friday, James is off to training again for the first time. Whew. And asks Ed if he wants to come along. But Ed has to work on that fucking snag list for Grace and is starting to resent it. What a cow, says Aggie. Ed's with Paul in the pub. Paul's got overtime out of this and Ed's mind is a million miles away and he just wants Paul to get on with it on his own. James comes home from training and wants to celebrate with the family until Aggie explains that Ed is working too hard. They agree to celebrate at home with Aggie's marmalade chicken wings. And now see, this almost sounds good. Because if it's orange marmalade... It's orange... Orange orange chicken. chicken. Yeah, basically. But they try and make out that that this sounds so awful that Danny, who's... A chef. Who's now there and as a chef... Well, it makes sense that Danny would offer to help and he's going to make them good. But, you know, this is... This is not the worst thing Aggie has ever said when it comes to food because we're still doing this thing where ha ha ha, Aggie can't cook. Ha mm. ha ha. She's a woman. Ha, ha. She can't cook, obviously. Ha 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 ha. So funny. So Aggie and Grace bump into each other at the tram stop. Aggie is furious that Grace is working Ed like a dog and they can't afford to go out with James and Danny. Danny comes along, which stops Aggie punching Grace's lights out and Aggie plays the whole thing down in front of him and then they go into the co-op to get the stuff for the dinner. And we get confirmation at that point that the Costa is out of here. The Costa shop has been replaced by the EE shop. Which makes no sense to me. No. And that's as far as we get that this week. Is there something else going on with Ed? He seems terribly, terribly stressed about this. Well, he's just... He's got to spend all of this time on this house that he's not making any money on. He's spending money on it. He's not making money on it. And he's got to give up other jobs to do it so he's not really making any money and the only way he can make money is to hire paul back but then now he has to he has to pay paul he doesn't have a good history of paying paul no i'm glad paul's back in the he needs to rob peter yeah we haven't seen peter 
well, in a while. He needs to rob Peter to pay Paul. Right. And somehow we're going to have to fit Mary in there somewhere. I'm not getting a joke out of that at all. It no. is a joke. Yeah. I, it's funny. Okay. You're robbing, you're okay. robbing Peter to pay Paul. You're laughing with your yeah. eyes then. Yeah. Okay. Yes. This is, this is also a saying in the United States. So why doesn't James help out? Because he's a footballer. Because he can solve this immediately. Right. But they don't want James to know about this. James doesn't know. What does James care? James doesn't know that they don't have any money. Right. So tell him. No. Nope. He'll help. No, because then James will tell Michael and then Grace will run off to Hull, which is less than 100 miles away. I think James is going to find out, though, because Danny almost finds out. So Danny knows something's up. So I don't know. This, again, this has fallen into being the Baileys operating in a little cocoon. Yeah. All on their own, with the exception of a very brief scene with, with Paul. Paul and a couple of little scenes with Danny. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, it's yeah, it's a Bailey exclusive storyline, right? Yet again, and it makes it feel like the Baileys don't have anybody that they can confide in mm-hmm. on the street. They have not made friends in the two years they've been here. Right. It's ridiculous. It's so frustrating. Yes. Let's move on then to our final storyline, which is goodbye, old friend. With deaf stuff <laughs> on Monday, deaf, not dev, mm-hmm. or death. Well, there's a death, death stuff, but on no dev. Monday. I'm really kind of sad we don't get any dev this week. Frida and Rita are chatting about the paperboy statue outside the cabin, which Norris hated. apparently always hated. Frida has arranged an interpreter for the funeral, and, and she apparently, hopes- apparently, <laughs> Norris's death is front page news in the Weather Gazette. Front page news. Goodbye, old friend. That's on Friday. Front page news. We'll get to that. <laughs> Frida has arranged an interpreter for the funeral and she hopes that Muppet George has got his ducks in a row now. Well, I wouldn't put any money on it. Gemma's got an invite to meet up with one of the deaf kids' mums and she wants to take Alad and leave Chesney to look after well, the, the nameless other three kids. One of the, but Ches has to go to work and suggests that Rita looks after them. One of the cochlear implant mums. Specifically, because this is an important, this is an important key to this storyline is the fact that she's, she's buggered off to meet with these mums whose kids have had the cochlear implants. George runs into Frida in Roy's roles and has a consignment of the orders of service. He lets her take a look and she's instantly furious. They've got the date of birth wrong. This entire funeral has been a fiasco. Bumbling George, that's what mm-hmm. they're going to start calling them. At the funeral parlour. Makes then. you wonder how he can stay in um, right. in business. The undertaker is explaining what happened to Mary, who thinks Norris would find it funny to be nine years younger. Actually, I think he'd be quite pleased. Yeah. Mary is far more subdued this week, so George lets her visit Norris. She'd never forgive herself if she didn't say goodbye. And Christ alone knows who's looking after Gemma's other kids, because next we see she's getting a bus to the hospital with Alad and Rita isn't looking after anyone. Frida goes to see Gemma, but Chesney's the one who answers the door and he tells her that she's already gone to the playgroup at the hospital, which isn't the playgroup that Frida was talking about. And now I haven't got a fucking clue what's going on. Right. But you do. Yes. Yes. Frida and Gemma are supposed to be going to the deaf playgroup. Gemma says to Chesney in the beginning that she's going to go and very quickly meet with these mothers with kids with cochlear implants and she should be back in time to meet up with... Frida to go to the deaf playgroup. 
Chesney never listens to anyone because he's an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to find something clever to call him, but asshole is really the only that thing works. that works. It's um, a classic. It is. And so has just kind of mushed all of this information in his brain that Gemma has told him to just assume that both play groups are the same thing. But Gemma is running late, which is what causes the difficulty here. And, and Chesney is also waking up from a nap in the middle of the day. When he's supposed to be watching his other children. Right. But there's only so much you can do with his name written on his back. <laughs> Whatever that means. Mary fair enjoys herself seeing Norris and tells Undertaker about a flickery bulb. And this is all just to hide the fact that she actually is super upset about Norris being dead and all that. Yes. Then Frida meets Ken and Rose Rolls. He's written Norris's obituary as Frida gets a mysterious text. She worries. Nope, nope. She doesn't get a mysterious text. Somebody tries to call her and she says, That's weird. Nobody ever calls me. Anybody who knows me wouldn't call me. They would text because I'm deaf. I feel like I've been doing a bit of a Chesney here. I'm not really paying attention. She okay. worries that she isolated Norris at the end from all his friends, but Ken helps put her mind at ease and later Gemma and Frida meet up hours late for the playgroup Alad's operation is tomorrow and she wanted to talk to other mums about it Frida isn't too impressed thinking Alad needs a connection with other deaf people Gemma insists he will and she won't stop teaching him sign language she promises on Wednesday Bernie is singing there, well she's she's saying the words to there must be an angel let's put it that way She's chuffed for Alad to get his operation. Chez and Gemma are a little bit more stressed about it. Gemma not looking forward to strangers drilling into Alad's head. Right. Chesney it, it doesn't seem... Chesney seems more stressed with, with Bernie singing <laughs> than right. than with this. Because he's, he's kind of of the same mind as Bernie. Very much so, yeah. This is going to solve everything and that... Alad is just miraculously going to be able to hear sound now and understand right. songs and know what's going on, which is just so fucking <laughs> ableist of both of them. And it just... Frida's chatting to Roy about a glass hummingbird that she wants to put in Norris's coffin. The Undertaker comes along and informs them all that he and Todd are taking a deaf awareness course. But then Frida tells him about the hummingbird and the Undertaker has to tell her that the coffin is now sealed. Todd left a voicemail for her yesterday. I'm fucking deaf, yells Frida, and she storms off. Roy asks the undertaker when his course is due to start. <laughs> that was so good. Couldn't her phone read um, out her voicemail to her? Oh, she's deaf. She's deaf. But it transcribes it. Sometimes. And she has an iPhone. Sometimes it transcribes, but it doesn't always. And it wasn't from... Oddly, it wasn't from... You know, when it came up, it didn't come up that it was coming from the funeral home no, it, it said unknown, unknown number, number. Right. so she's she's probably looking i'm getting a phone call i'm deaf and it's from an unknown number so it's probably somebody who wants to extend my auto warranty mm -hmm. on, on my on my car or something so i can ignore this i don't need to pay attention to this i have more important things to do because my betrothed is dead frida comes into royal rolls <sighs> while bernie is showing a video of baby hearing its mother for the first time Frida is determined to pop Bernie's bubble, telling her it's not like that. Alad will only be able to hear sounds he won't recognise as voices. Right. Bernie's sure Alad will be a star with his implants, and Frida tells her that that attitude is helping no one. Frida needs to speak to Gemma about uh, remembering Alad's death part. 
Bernie says he won't have a deaf part. He'll be normal. Why don't you just punch her in the face right there? So Frida goes to see Gemma, who's still up to Hido. Frida so offers awful. to take Alad for a bit to give her some peace, and Gemma is thrilled to jump at the offer. And Frida is absolutely right there with that video. You know that one. That one video gets passed around an awful lot, and people. It's it's like that. Um, it's like the one with the kid with the glasses who gets to see for the first time, you know, and he, and he gets a big smile on his face and people right. are like, Oh, he's got a big smile on his face because he recognizes his mother for the first time. And it's like, you're, you're putting an awful lot of yourself on a wee baby mm-hmm. whose brain is not fully developed yet. Yeah. And you're making some huge assumptions about why that baby is smiling. That smile could be gas or being terrified. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like when people anthropomorphize dogs. It's the same thing. Guilty of doing that. Our dog's smiling all the time. Especially when he's doing this shit. <laughs> There's a scene with Frida and her non-speaking friend as they coo over Alad and then the interpreter arrives and the three of them have a right old natter together using sign language mm-hmm. which Twitter exploded at. I don't know what they're saying. This isn't fair. I can't understand what they're saying. Fuck you, Twitter. <laughs> the subtitles told you. <laughs> the Undertaker wanders by and assumes they're all talking about him. That was funny. Yeah. Lisa, the interpreter, introduces herself and goes off to talk about the service with the Undertaker. Yeah, she's nice. I like her. Yeah. Outside the kebab shop. She takes no shit from nobody. No, seriously. Outside the kebab shop, Bernie and Chesney are bitching about Frida and talking about Gemma as though once the implants are done, she can kick the deaf classes and all that to fuck. Chesney is looking forward to this, he says. Frida is over the road and lip reads the lot. Alad will finally fit in, says Bernie. Gemma rushes to the kebab shop thinking that Frida and Alad would be there by now. They're not, so Gemma and Ches go off to track the two of them down. Summer is waiting outside Daniel. See, this is it. There it is. <laughs> There's that paragraph that's in the wrong story. <laughs> Summer is waiting outside Daniel's and David is furious. There we go. That should be another story. Oh, God. Roy tells Gemma that he got the impression from Frida. Right, it's not even like they interact with anybody in this other story. No, I've just completely missed it. <laughs> Missed it. I could explain my process to you, but it would be boring. But I, I put all these paragraphs, I number them, and I put them in. I put them in order. And I've just missed this one. <laughs> Roy tells Gemma that he got the impression from Frida that Bernie said something to upset her, and the whole Undertaker thing really got her wound up earlier. Gemma is now worried that Frida has taken Alad. Gemma, Chesney, and Bernie reconvene at the kebab shop. Ches is a bit clueless as to what's going on, which I, I, I felt like. So Gemma sends him to Shady Acres, but not to live. Bernie <laughs> insists that she didn't upset Frida. It was Frida who was dissing her vids, she says. Right. So Gemma it's calls not your vid. Gemma calls Frida's friend uh, and they sign language to each other over FaceTime outside the community centre. And that's when we see Frida is in there with Alad and has locked the door. Frida is doing sign language no. to Alad, who thinks that she's a nutter. She, she tells her through sign language that she gave her the key. To the community centre and then they run to the community centre and yeah. Bernie bangs on the window but Frida insists that she's telling Alad important stuff so she refuses to unlock the door. Meanwhile the interpreter is chatting to the undertaker in the rovers warning that Frida is a right crazy fucker when she's had a drink in her and Gemma bounds in and drags interpreter away to help. Bernie's ready to bash the windows in. Alad's already late for the operation. The interpreter and Gemma beg Frida to give Alad back but nope she refuses. Bernie thinks this is a deliberate attempt by Frida to stop Alad getting his implants. Frida won't be happy until everyone's deaf, she says. She wants to call the police 
The interpreter says Frida thinks that she's the deaf one, but they're the ones that aren't listening. Frida thinks that they're rejecting him, ignoring that he's deaf. Frida spends five minutes talking about her background and how hearing people dismiss deaf people and how Bernie wants Alice to be normal. And Bernie's going, well, I didn't really kind of say it like that. Yeah, you totally she said it like that. Allard with implants is still deaf. He'll still miss stuff, but he'll pretend to understand so he doesn't feel left out. Yeah, and, and we'll shake his head and we'll insist and we'll get angry when people are like, are you sure? Right. And, and we'll miss things. Gemma insists that she'd never make him feel ashamed. Frida still reckons she knows best. In the deaf world, Allard will discover a beautiful language. In the hearing world, they'll focus on speech. Bring them together and he'll have both. And this seems to be a long pitch to make Gemma and Alad continue to learn sign language, which they always said that they were going to. And again, the blame for all this falls on Bernie. Right, and a little bit on Chesney. And finally, finally, Frida brings up, you know, with this whole tweeting birds thing, you know, the fact that people with cochlear implants, they're not, they're not hearing things the way hearing people do you know it's mechanical because it's not it's it's sound waves going directly to the brain so it even even with cochlear implants you're going to miss things and things are not going to sound the same and living in that house with cochlear implants with people shouting and yelling at one another and talking over one another constantly is going to be terrifying and stress-inducing. Well, I think that's terrifying for anybody, not necessarily a deaf person. Back in the Rovers, it sounds like Billy's been given some religious work to do for for once. <laughs> He'll be officiating at the funeral, two weddings and a christening too. Mm-hmm. Gemma is angry at Bernie for making decisions for her and tearfully promises to continue with the sign language uh, lessons. Frida continues to diss the cochlear implants, claiming that they sound mechanical. She wants Alad to be a first-class deaf boy, not a second-class hearing boy. Then Chesney appears. Alice she's missed his she's right in that diss, though. So it's not really a diss. She's she's preaching the truth about about these things. Chesney appears. Alice missed his operation because Frida's keeping Alice to make us do a night class, he says. Fucking shift, he says, and he starts battering at the door. Chesney is Team Bernie here. Then Rita comes along and speaks to Frida and says, uh, it's a shame about Norris and all that, and this seems to... Uh, it deflates Frida it a deflates little. It deflates Frida down. Alad needs his mum, says Rita, and the siege is over. Ches, though, has called the cops, and the interpreter starts signing Frida her rights, and PC Tinker is confused to fuck. Billy what you doing? at number eight <laughs> to get some stuff from Audrey for Norris's funeral, and he leaves just as Gail comes back in with a lovely new hat. I think you've got a hat like that, haven't you? I have a couple of hats like that, let's be honest. Gail has come home for Norris's funeral, which surprised me. The two weren't that close and they come back from Thailand? Anyway. We'll just ignore how little that makes sense because it's nice that Gail's back. Audrey starts modelling for some old names and we're still alive and kicking, says Gail. It's all calmed down uh, with Chesney and, and Frida and stuff. But Chesney thinks that Frida doesn't get within 100 yards of the kids now. Alice has lost his place on the list thanks to her. And well, Roy- he's assuming he's lost his place on the list. Right. He's being very presumptive here. In Roy's rules, Frida has been given a slap on the wrist for kidnapping a baby. Bernie apologises for The show things. really loves a kidnapped baby storyline, doesn't it? And also... A little too much. And also lo- loves giving out people slaps on the wrist when 
at least some community service should be dished out for taking a baby without permission and well technically she had permission to take that baby no, she was asked for the to hand the baby back several times and she right. refused yeah she was holding the baby against Gemma's will right but crimes have been committed here that yeah we're just skimming over right when the- because of the whole Norris thing probably yeah anyway Bernie apologizes for the things that she said earlier she agrees that she's not normal either she goes off to get herself ready for Norris's funeral tomorrow. Roy hopes that it'll be a fitting goodbye for an old friend. Ominous? Or what? There's a lot of ominous stuff that goes on in this storyline. Mm-hmm. Like at one point, said, Audrey says to Gail something about, well, at least we're alive and kicking. You know, and, and, and every year you wonder, you know, after every one, you wonder who's going to be next. The bit about the death thing, though, that that seemed that annoyed me a little bit, and I think it's been kind of just it's been ignored for the fact that Frida is grieving. Is that Frida puts so much stock into what Chesney of all people thinks, mm-hmm. and what Bernie of all people right. thinks, and so little stock into what Gemma thinks when the relationship that Frida's had really has been with Gemma. Well, I think and they've, they've built up a fairly close friendship, friendship yeah. here, and Gemma has always insisted that she's going to keep up with the sign language, yeah. no matter what. I think, I think, what what the problem is here is that is is Gemma missing that play play, right. play group? If she yeah. hadn't missed that one, and if Chesney hadn't blabbed about you know the fact that she'd missed it because she was talking to these mothers with whose babies have had cochlear implants. This baby. Right. You know, I think that's that's it because that makes Frida worry. Because Frida says in the community garden that she's really happy that the family is still going to continue to do BSL and that's the thing that's really kind of mm-hmm. given her some peace about about the whole cochlear implants because she doesn't seem she doesn't seem to not want Alad to have the cochlear implants. She just wants to make sure right. the family understands he's still going to be deaf and you can't treat him like all of a sudden he's he's a hearing person. But you've got to think that the hospital and the doctors and the surgeons are giving Gemma and Chesney the same message. And at the end of the day, it's got fuck all to do with Frida. It's I, none of her business. I'm still really glad that they did this, though. I'm glad that they did it as well. And I'm, I just, and I, think, I kind of wish that they had done it in a way that didn't make the deaf person out to be this crazy person who steals right, babies. exactly. But from what I see on the Twitter from uh, people that I, I chat with who are deaf or who are partially deaf or who know deaf people, mm-hmm. they're thrilled at this storyline. They right. were thrilled at... Um, the deaf world getting a bit of an airing on yes. on Coronation Street. And so for that reason, yes. and that reason alone, it doesn't fucking matter what I think about it. That's true. It's If it's making these people happy, I'm happy. If yeah. it's an accurate representation of what it's like to be deaf in a hearing world, mm-hmm. then I'm happy. Yeah. So, yes. moving on. On Friday, Rita has placed a photo of Norris on the Weather Gazette sign with goodbye, old friend. Yes. Front page news. Audrey, stop the presses. Norris has died. What a scoop. And they use a 20-year-old picture of him. Audrey comes along and reckons that they broke the mould when they made Norris. 
Breeder reckons that they broke the mould before that, and no one knows what that means. <laughs> Seriously, what the fuck I was like, does that how, does, how does that work, Rita? He was just a blob. <laughs> Frida catches Gemma. Or he was made broken. And Chesney to apologise. She asks Gemma along to the funeral, but Chesney refuses on her behalf because he's a dick and still butthurt about missing the. God, thing. I hate him so much. Claudia and Audrey greet each other as they prepare to head for the funeral and Mary, who's dressed as Princess Leia for some reason, hopes it'll kick off between the two of them before the wake. That well, that's what funny. you wore. That's what you wore when they got married, yes? No. Mm-hmm. A, a horse-drawn carriage brings Norris's coffin down Coronation Street. The stapler positioned carefully or precariously, depending on your viewpoint, on top as they go down a cobbled street. Leanne, who can't get a break for love nor money, watches on from the bistro. In the church, Billy's actually doing some vicaring. Claudia is missing Norris's shuttlecock and she makes a strange motion with her hand as she says that Mary is quizzed by Audrey about her attire but insists that Norris would get it but not like that Audrey has a hip flask of tequila and she, Mary and Gail get wired in Mary apparently has also been taking some unknown medication from the bottom of Audrey's handbag Right, Audrey Audrey gave her a pill to calm her down She doesn't know what it is Billy starts to say, which is always great That sounds safe, doesn't it? Billy starts the ceremony by explaining that Norris wasn't religious and he's left some very specific instructions. So shit's about to get totally fucked up here. The opening hymn is number 354 in the Red Book in the Pews, By the Rivers of Babylon. (laughs) Gemma arrives just as Rita tells her Norris story. When she met him, she found him an arrogant shit. And he was. She threatened to kill him at least once a week, but he had a great sense of humour and thought she was joking. He stuck by her side when she had a brain tumour that time and ate her grapes when she woke up. She'd be dead without him. But not like that. Goodbye, old friend, she says. And next up is a surprise speaker to read Norris's final letter to his friends. It's Roy, who clearly had no idea of what was happening and Ken looked like he thought that he was getting the gig because he spent the time writing the eulogy, so he's pissed off at this. Is he? Mm -hmm. Is he really? Audrey gets wired into tequila as Roy reads Norris's letter. Don't let the fact that I'm dead spoil your day. He had a great life with wonderful friends and people that he didn't care for. First donkey up is Frida. She gave is him. Is Audrey ever sober <laughs> in this show anymore? So. Every gave... time we see her, she's so drunk. She gave him this idea through her constant badgering about his funeral. He doesn't see any point in playing songs he likes, so he's going to start playing songs that he hated instead. Turning to Mary now, she was another constant badgerer about his funeral. One time, to get her to shut up, he requested that she attended dressed as Princess Leia, but even Mary isn't daft enough to fall for that one. So now Mary is feeling rather sheepish. Yes. Here's to you, my lovely neighbours and friends, and Audrey drinks to that. (laughs) Then Norris leaves a puzzle, telling everyone that he hid something valuable in the cabin, Paperboy. And lastly, he tells Rita, if she's still kicking about that she was the sunshine of his life. Right. If, if Sleepless in Seattle taught me anything, it's difficult not to bang your closest friends. What? Shouts Rita. <laughs> Mary looks like she's ready to pass out. Sorry I didn't shag you, he says, but I spent many happy years with you, and I'll never tell that you get your colour done at Claudia's. And I think Norris out. I think he's mistaken. I think he means when Harry met Sally. Does, yeah. Because... It has nothing about friendship. They don't even know one another because one is in Seattle and one is in New York. Audrey is furious that Rita betrayed her and then Coca Cabana starts by Barry Manilow. (laughs) The reception or wake in this case is at the bistro. Frida knew about the letter but she hadn't read it. Now she's worried that Audrey's nose is totally out of joint. And Audrey's still upset about Rita's wig. I mean hair. Shocker, says Claudia as Audrey goes for another drink. 
Ken urges for calm. His plea falls on deaf ears, though. Audrey's had enough and she leaves. Meanwhile, uh, anytime, anytime Ken has the opportunity to tell women what to do, he's going to take it. <laughs> right. Meanwhile, Mary is still embarrassed about her costume and wishes that she'd uh, got a chance to sing her farewell to Norris. But her harpist had an accident slicing a pineapple yesterday. Whatever that means. <laughs> Gemma will miss Norris. He treated her well when she arrived. And another news, Alad's operation has only been postponed for a few weeks. Yeah. So not a big deal. Fuck you, Chesney. Ken checks in on Mary, who is sad to realise that Norris had lots of people more important to him in his life than her. To cheer herself up, she decides to go and see what's in the paper boy. And despite himself, Ken follows on interested. Outside the kebab shop, Gemma's happy to forgive Frida now that Alad's operation has been rescheduled. Chesney still isn't happy. And then Gemma announces that she but has... But who fucking cares what Chesney thinks? <laughs> then Gemma announces that she has a BSL app to help them learn on her phone. And Chesney still isn't happy. Yes, he's like, well, we still have five kids, you know, to to deal with. Do we really have... And Gemma's like, 30 minutes a night. Do we really have time to learn how to communicate with one of them? Right. Yeah, it's like... What what if Alad had been born with something that that couldn't be improved? Mm-hmm. You know what 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 would what would happen then? Chesney, Chesney and Fizz, you could tell that they are siblings because they're both awful parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chesney ha- is going to push everyone out of his life by being a dick, isn't he? But people forgive him. That's just Chesney. Why? Mary has sourced a chainsaw from Paul, but she can't get it started and is pushed out of her tits. So Brian and also steps high up as a kite. Before Mary, no, because it turned out to just be a tic-tac. Or so they say. All right. So Brian steps up before Mary slices off her donuts. Brian takes an obviously non-functioning chainsaw to the paper boy's it's head. Funny, funny calling them donuts. And now it's been decapitated. They found nothing. Rita reminds everyone that Norris hated that paper boy right. and Frida thinks this is Norris fucking with her heads from beyond the grave getting them to destroy something that he hated Right. then Mary who still hasn't got a chance to sing her song starts singing her song and it's goodbye and everyone joins in and that's how we end this week's episodes mm-hmm. it was a good ending it was a cracking funeral I thought this yeah. is just I was laughing out loud it was, pretty much all the way through it it was just funny enough right you know it didn't go it didn't go to the place of audrey and claudia fighting over a casket and it falling over and dumping dead nigel havers out no and it didn't go it's a mad 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 world by everyone running out of the the church to find the paper boy right they got to it eventually yes so there was a bit of farce in there but there wasn't too much of it right the speech that Roy was reading out, mm-hmm. you could hear Norris say most of it. Mm-hmm. And the bits that you couldn't hear Norris say, you could hear Alan Partridge say the rest of it. Mm-hmm. It was it's The the fact he made Roy read that out was hilarious. Uh-huh. Roy, Having Roy say those things. Roy seems that he, he, he can't read. <laughs> the way that I think was, he was just uncomfortable with some of that stuff, I know, which I can believe that you, Roy would be. Would you drop that on... On, it's fiction so who cares but it was it was funny that he got the gig mm-hmm. Ken didn't because Ken's expecting it and it was um, well I don't I feel like if Ken was expecting it he would have been given it by he now. was writing the eulogy right and, and telling Frida about it yeah. no 
For the funeral? No, it was for the paper. It was for the Weather Gazette. Because after after Frida says, yes, this is lovely, I approve this, Ken says, well, then I will get this to the Gazette right away. That's not a eulogy that you put in a, in a newspaper. That's what Ken said. That's what Ken said. I will get this to the Gazette right away. And, of, and they don't also... In the newspaper for a eulogy, put goodbye, old friend, and a big, massive picture on the front page of that, well, that person was either. That did that. The paper didn't do that. No, because it says we- Weatherfield Gazette over it. It always says Weatherfield Gazette over it. No, like it's a paper. Rita did that. It wasn't in the paper. Yes, because Rita is an expert when it comes to printing things out. Well, maybe she got someone to do it for her. It's not in the paper. It isn't a paper. Of course it's not. It's front page news. Of Good course it isn't. Of course that is. Because that's what that's for. It's for the paper. Yeah, so that she's made this to put in it. Yes, yes, because Rita is very skilled in printing. Which is far more likely than it being the front page news. The reason <laughs> why you the reason why you you think it's so ridiculous is because it's ridiculous. It's because it didn't happen. Anyway, yeah, Did, it was you, nice to see Billy have some actually, proper bickering to do. Yes, that was nice. I was amused by Gail's hair. Although, the I was kind of taken out of his hands a bit right. by Norris kind of took right. over the whole show, so Billy had yeah. actually very little it, to it, do. It, it was like, well, what? He's just saying, okay, and now it's time for blah, blah, blah. And now it's time for blah, blah, blah. And now it's time for blah, blah, blah. I'm sure there are, I'm sure there are bits that we didn't see that would be in like in a normal funeral. Yeah, I think we just missed the songs because of copyright reasons, but... Gail's hair. Yeah, I saw th- what, what did I miss about Gail's hair? She suppose that she's got a towel wrapped around it like she's just washed it, but it's bone dry. Well, the towel's doing its job then. Her bangs are bone dry and they look all done. Was it a towel or was it a pashmina? You don't wrap a pashmina around your hair. <sighs> Fucking hell. <laughs> it would make it go all uh, staticky. That yeah, that's the thing that was amusing people. It was it amused me. It's like, what is she? Is she is she pretending that she's just had a wash? Because her hair's bone dry. What's what's up with this? But yeah, I liked and I liked like all the pictures and stuff yeah. that we fade to all the pictures and everything. And I thought it was a really nice send off. And it it just I feel like there's some fan service there, but it's appropriate. Fan oh, it's service. absolute fan service. Yeah, and right. the way that ended with the goodbye and the looking at the pictures and stuff was right. was totally. It's also a big fuck you to Robert, but you know, I guess he wasn't in the show as long as Norris was. Right. So nobody cared. <laughs> He's still in the Undertaker's closet. <laughs> yeah, there was some chatter on on Twitter about it would be a great storyline if they find him behind a jar of pickles or something. <laughs> but well, well there. <gasps> we didn't bury him. Yeah, he's he's yeah. he was right next to Pat Phelan on the on the shelf, but Todd just doesn't care. Absolutely, yeah, it was a great send off. You're right, it was pitched uh, pretty well. It was it was so it was the kind of thing that if somebody who has the kind of gift of that public speaking thing at, um, at a funeral, you can imagine you'd be sitting in the funeral, mm-hmm. chuckling away at, right. at, at, at these memories and, yeah. and stuff. It kind of had that real life. Yeah. You know, the funeral is supposed to be a celebration, and that right. was absolutely a celebration absolutely. of Norris's life and his uh, tomfoolery. Yeah, his personality was well yeah. was well represented there. Totally came through. You know, it was it worked 
it worked really well. And I'm glad that they toned down the whole Mary versus Frida stuff. I'm yeah. glad that, that that seems to have seemed to have gone away by the by the time of the funeral because I it really it was really starting to annoy me quite a lot and it just it felt like See, a I, little too much. I, I think I did a little bit of a disservice there for for Mary last week. Yeah. Because that was her in grief. Mm-hmm. That was her dealing with grief. Yes. They kind of did it in a semi uh Comedic, right, or fashion. an attempt at comedic fashion. Right. But her reacting like that as well. People react oddly, yeah, in grief and it's true. And all that. And last week I was just like, oh, she was just such a pain mm-hmm. in the arse, and she was just being so horrible. I was but, really sad for Frida and and the hummingbird. Oh yeah, that you know, was, and I really liked the story of you know where she thought she saw a hummingbird, but they don't get hummingbirds in the UK apparently. So. And it kind of reminded me of your mum's hummingbird that we have. Oh, and the Her little hummingbird chimes. chimes yeah. yeah. Hanging in the kitchen. I banged my head on those fucking things every time I walked into the kitchen. And f- <laughs> for years and years, you think I'd learn, but nope. nope. Every time I walked into the kitchen, banged my head. Nope. It didn't help that your mum's house was a hobbit house. <laughs> and my mum was four foot eleven. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what was your moment of the week? Ah. Uh, it's got to be something to do with the with the funeral, yes. Yeah, I think just the funeral in general. Yeah, it's it's a long moment of the week. The, the or is it? I, I think or is it's it hard them, to pick like an gathered around the newsboy, the headless, the now headless newsboy, and singing the song towards the end, kind of bringing it to a close. Oh, do you know what? Yeah, let's go with that. Okay. Yeah. So that's really the the final farewell to Norris. Then mm-hmm. so. Moment of the week. Your boring moment of the week. Now Daniel was in it, but I don't think Daniel did anything boring. Yeah, it. it I mean, I. In fairness, I find these two dudes shouting in the street more than once kind of boring. Right. Is it Daniel and Summer talking about Oxford? And how to get into Oxford and the fact that Daniel got into Oxford, but then he had to turn it down because blah, 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 blah. It's a long story. Do you know, I I said it it isn't Daniel, but it is Daniel. It's totally that. It's it's Daniel uh, saying that when you get into Oxford, you can take me to the blah, blah, blah museum. Right. And and some are apparently not knowing what a museum is. Right. Which means kids these days. Kids these days not knowing what a museum is. That's our boring <sighs> moment of the week. Daniel, you do yourself no favours. That's our boring moment of the week. Appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> so, shall we wrap this one up then? Yes, please. If you've ever told someone to decapitate a statue in hopes of getting the treasure of Sierra Madre, Rita said that wrong. She had Sayara Marjorie or something? Well, so. she's got an accent. You can write to us to tell us about it. We're the talk of the street, gmail.com. You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to start 
that sort of rumor about every every statue of Andrew Jackson in this country. Yeah, and there's a couple of trees in our yard that could be getting taken <laughs> down as well. And we're at Cory Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can shout me and Helen a coffee by heading to ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of woggle.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. And we will be back next week with more. Uh, talk of the street. The talk of the street. Bye. Cheerio. Bye.